You already know that Illegal Pete's makes delicious, mission-style Mexican food. But did you know that Illegal Pete's uses its marketing funds to support Colorado creative talent that we love? We support the Denver Diatribe Podcast, the Grolix Comedy Showcase, Rocky Mountain Roller Girls, the Yellow Designs BMX Stunt Team, Apex Movement Parkour Team, the Underground Music Showcase, and more. We even have our own record label, The Greater Than Collective, with albums by The Epilogues, Snake Rattle Rattlesnake, Esme Patterson, Ian Cook, and comedian Ben Roy, and a starving artist program that feeds out-of-town bands traveling in Colorado for free. Illegal Pete's. We're more than just a restaurant. So, let us put our food... And music... And comedy... And sports... Inside you. Please. Please. Denver, Denver, I'm from Denver, 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 I'm from Denver, 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 Hello and welcome to the Denver Diatribe, a weekly podcast of news, culture, and stuff as it pertains to Denver, Colorado, the most dinosaur-friendly city between uh, dinosaur and bedrock, which is actually a town in Colorado. Bedrock? It is, and as well as dinosaur. Wow. Yes. So there you go. So I am Joel Warner, and joining me today at the Daniels and Fisher Clock Tower are co-hosts Vanessa Martinez and Jared King Mayer. I think Vanessa is just going to be running the board today. You won't hear much of her, but she'll be gesturing wildly like usual. Hi, Joel. Yes. Oh, yes, that was Vanessa. <laughs> um, also joining us this morning are very special guests, uh, Greg and Meredith uh, Talley, uh, co-owners of the new Paleolithic-themed Best Western Denver Southwest and dabblers in all sorts of fascinating stuff straight out of Mr. Wizard. Thanks uh, for being here, guys. Hi Say there. Hi. hi there. Rar. We're excited Rar. to be there. Yes. We have so much to talk to you guys about, about everything from dinosaurs to Nikola Tesla to the oatmeal to, um, I oh. assume, laser beams will be involved. Robots, no? <laughs> R- robot, monkey, uh, laser fights. Okay. And yes. Stuff and junk and junk and stuff. Dry yeah. ice, hopefully. Dry ice. And our, okay. secret, Sublimation. our secret dino cloning lab that doesn't exist. So yeah. don't I, we don't know how that works. Fine, we won't bring that up. <laughs> Everyone forget can, that. Can, can, can you pull that part out? Yeah, sure. <laughs> yes. lawyers, Mag- so. Magic of post-production. Uh, but before we talk about all that fun stuff, we're going to do a few newsy bits. Uh, first of all, we want to talk about the judgmental Denver map. Um, a friend of ours, uh, Trent Gillespie, uh, comedian by night and project manager by day, I guess about a week ago, maybe a little more, spent a couple hours making his own little uh, map about stereotypes about different parts of Denver. Stuck it on Facebook and then it just got huge. I think there's been multiple news stories about this. Uh, have you guys had a chance to look yeah, at this? Yeah, no, I saw it pop up in my Facebook feed as, as well as other people. And so what this is, right, is, is there's a website called judgmentalmaps.com. No, I think he started oh, he Judgmental, started judgmental uh, yeah. Maps. He started, like, uh, I think first he made this Judgmental Denver map. Okay. And then it got some legs, and all of a sudden he started, like, a Tumblr page to have other people submit judgmental city maps. And so all this is is basically he just took like a uh, like a screenshot of like a Google Maps of Denver and then he put different like city titles or names based on sort of stereotypes and it was just uh, I just thought it was perfect. Yeah, it is I mean it's it's surprising surprisingly accurate. I think uh, we've used many of these terms on the podcast before. Uh, Jared and I both live in can't afford to live in the Highlands, <laughs> which is completely correct. It absolutely. I mean that that was that was right on. Although I do have a gripe about one of his other assertions okay. having to do with our neighborhood, but we can get that into that a little bit. There's also uh, for Cherry Creek is Cougar Town, Stapleton is Gapleton, but then also a little bit to the north uh, west of that is Stableton, and uh, and south of that is all the babies in Denver, which I don't know exactly what that means, but I kind of like it. Uh, Vanessa, who lives in Boulder, uh, lives in the area which is called to buy weed from rich hippies. Um, now, you guys, uh, Meredith and Greg, you guys aren't on this map? We're off the map, yeah. We're, we're more towards Lake Hood, which is also <laughs> not on here. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you guys had to name your particular region? Uh, probably since we're at Hamden and Wadsworth, we would just call that Hamwad. Hamwad. And then on towards uh, Dinosaur Ridge and Red Rocks, which are side by side, we would just call that uh, stoned uh, dinosaur hippies or stoned hippie dinosaurs. And I, I, I noticed right around the Capitol building, there should be something from Lord of the Rings here. It should be called uh, Lobbington. So Lobbington? Yeah. <laughs> 
I know so, our colleague Ron was upset. I think where, uh, Ron's neighborhood, he said, he said, he said was mislabeled. Um, what uh, was it called? Boring Wealth? Is that where he is? I, yeah, what, what neighborhood does Ron live in? South? Uh, see, I never know that. Once again, a made up neighborhood. I don't think it really exists. But I mean, I think it should be called uh, North Bagel Deli Stim because I think that whole area should be known. <laughs> based on the bagel deli, so I call it... Well, and, that's, and that's, his, that's his big thing, because right on the, on the judgmental Denver map, it's just called Boring Wealth and Wannabe Suburbanites, but Ron asserts that there are, uh, there's a mix of immigrants and very international feel, is, is, is his claim. Joel, what were some of your favorites on here, and what, um, what ones do you take issue with? I, um, I like the area, uh, kind of, uh, what's it... Um, South of Colfax, East I-25, it's labeled, you probably haven't heard of this neighborhood yet. Like, <laughs> I like that. That's actually, actually Athmore Park, so yeah. now you have heard of it. Um, what else did I like? I liked, um, there, there, there are a whole swaths of Denver, it just says nothing, which I kind of agree with. Um, I, I, like really how, I like how everything east of 225 is Nebraska, <laughs> which surprised me because I've always thought of everything east of 225 as Kansas. So, oh, yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a clear distinction there. <laughs> yes. Or since it's off the map, I think it should say, here there be tornadoes. Right. <laughs> right. And, and what, what also was funny is the um, guy that created it, what was his name again? Uh, Trent, Trent uh, Gillespie. Gillespie. Now, uh, you sent a link where Fox 31 tried to do this like actual serious sort of tongue-in-cheek news piece about the judgmental Denver map, and it was just totally weird and bizarre. I really enjoyed frankly, it. I thought it was a wonderful story by Fox. Uh, I, it, would, it would just made me hate the judgmental Denver map, just the way they put it together. I did like how, so they went, so they had their reporter and their producer kind of go around town to see if these labels were correct. And I guess they went over. This is what's defined as a slow news day yes. story. <laughs> um, they went over to kind of northeast Denver, which is labeled as auto mechanics and mentally insane. And they said, sure enough, they, sh- they showed a picture of an auto mechanic. And then they found some some guy with a crazy mustache named James Brown who said, yes, I am mentally insane. And there you had it. And, th- and, that, and that was their conclusion. Yeah. The, the one thing I really want to take issue with, and this is a larger rant, is the Lower Highlands, uh, he has a big label on it, just hipsters, just plain hipsters, for the Lower Highlands. This also goes into the, uh, the, the recent news story that Forbes magazine came out with their top 20 list of the most hipster neighborhoods in the country and the lower highlands was named number 17 as the most hipster neighborhood and i think that 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 label of calling the lower highlands hipster is is totally wrong yeah it's not it's a hip neighborhood it is not a hipster neighborhood if there was going to be a hipster neighborhood on this map it would be probably south broadway wouldn't you say yeah, or, some, or somewhere along Colfax. And so this goes back to my larger theory that the name hipster has been totally uh, misused and now lacks any sort of meaning. When Forbes magazine, which is read by like 45-year-old white golfers. A hipster has never read Forbes they, magazine. And they, start, it doesn't they start throwing around the word hipster. You know that when, it doesn't When there are it. liver spots involved, <laughs> then, then hipster is right out the and door. And then he also, in the, uh, at 44th and Federal, which is right around the... Uh, right around the corner from where I live, he put mustaches, flannel, and PBR. Joel, you live pretty close to me there in Sunnyside. Do you think that that's an accurate description of Sunnyside? No, not at all. Yeah, I think that it's, uh, it has a few years until it has to get into mustaches, flannel, and PBR, because that is true hipsterdom. So that is my, that is my judgment of the judgmental Denver map, my well, one judgment. Can I ask you a question? Because I'm, I'm intrigued about something you just said. Um, can you tell me your, your definition, or tell me the difference between hip and hipster? I'm, I'm curious to hear what you have to say. Well, hip would be more like a, um, if you say something's a hip neighborhood, there's a... A connotation of maybe more affluence. Uh, it's sort of an up-and-coming neighborhood, maybe more gentrification. If something is hipster, you're thinking a lot more like people who enjoy hanging out at dive bars because they cultivate that sort of um, ironic artistic sensibility. Do they aspire to be hip? No, no, no. Try actually, too hard or? well, I, I think that that that's the the name hipster. People throw it around for anybody that just seems young and cool. Okay. But actually, I think the more the more specific word is like you're you you like going to underground rock shows in warehouses. 
you shop at uh, thrift stores and Buffalo Exchange. People that, people that are going to Lower Highlands, which is right across I-25 from here, that's not them. They are, you know, upwardly mobile. They're like the yuppies. So, so, so basically okay. the rich comedic fodder for Portlandia. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> okay. and, and, and Denver okay. does have those locales, but I think that oh, it's Oh, Portlandia being, is so bolder, Denver. I it mean, it translates yeah. very, very well. Yeah. You could put a bird on Denver any day. <laughs> it, would be a, it would be a very large bird. <laughs> so I think it should be a, uh, a little bit until we see the judgmental Colorado map. Yeah, okay. Oh, that, okay. That's, that is that's definitely a lot that's to mine there. Yeah, yeah. that's going to be interesting. Yeah, that, that's going to be very finely detailed. Talking about uh, flannels and mustaches and all things hipster, I want to talk about uh, the Lumineers, which uh, our co-host Josh Johnson uh, gets some points for mentioning uh, last spring when really hardly anyone had heard about him. He, uh, for his love on one of the episodes, he loved their song, Ho Hey which he read about in a magazine, and his point was that more song should have chain gang refrains, and that it was lovely. At that point, uh, none of us had heard of L- Lumineers or the song Ho Hey. Now I think everyone in the country has heard of Ho Hey and Lumineers. And can I admit something? I totally had this disconnect from when he mentioned it and they were still kind of this Denver band. And then when people are talking about the Lumineers and I associate it now with that song, that song you hear on the radio yeah, that's like yeah. an international hit... And it took me a while to even put together that it was the same band. It, so it is kind of strange, and now it is strange that there's this like backlash against the Lumineers and their particular sound. Yeah, I'm not sure how much backlash there is. I think it's going to grow now. So what happened was they've now cracked the top ten on Billboard the past few weeks. It was after the song being out for a good seven or eight months. Um, they've gotten nominated for two Grammys, including for Best New Artist. Uh, as, as well as Best Americana, whatever that means. And there, well, you know, there is a new giant story in New York Times that came out online yesterday. I think it's going to be in Sunday's paper, all about the Lumineers, how they came up through the Denver scene, and they have nice shout-outs uh, to other local musicians, including folks who've had on the show, like uh, Esme Patterson, uh, Nathaniel Rateliff, uh, Open right. Air CPR gets a shout-out. So it's actually a really nice story. I thought it was good. Uh, the question is... Um, do we support the idea of the Lumineers as being kind of the new face of the Denver music scene? Of I course, mean, why wouldn't you? I mean, if they're not acting like the you know Van Morrison or the Kings of Leon, you know, more power to them. So, so you like their song, Greg? Uh, the tiny snippet I've heard, uh, sure. You know. I don't know much about their story. Um, I am, you know, I've heard the song and uh, thought it was fun and. Um, you know, I, I'm always happy when uh, a Colorado group gets recognition, and they sound like they're a really hardworking group, and uh, and I like their sound. So, yay, more power to them. Congratulations for, for in the big time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in, in the interest of full disclosure, my, my head is so in dinosaur books. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't want to act like I have any knowledge on this. I mean, I, I don't know if this is a badge of pride or not. I haven't even seen the Gangnam Style video yet on YouTube. That's That's just how... Far behind the times I am. You aren't missing much. With He's okay. a dork, but yeah, you're right. You're, you're not missing much. It's okay, okay Greg. Yeah. <laughs> the, the way that I think about, I think that everyone is thinking about the Lumineers' success right now, which, again, like, I like the song. I think the song is great. Yeah. Um, the, and I think that their sound is really great and I think is, is very unique. Is everyone's comparing them now to the last big band to come out of Denver and kind of hit it big on Billboard, which uh, was The Fray. And people are comparing the Lumineers' sound to... Mumford and Sons in the same way that people compared the fray to uh, Coldplay. Coldplay. And I can see that. If yeah. I think the, the question will be is if the Lumineers can sort of transcend that, that category of being sort of an also-ran, um, you know, nationally on the, on the national music scene and then sort of make this sort of a Denver sound going forward. I think that probably the Lumineers sound, that sort of Americana style, fits more with Denver and the Denver music scene than, say, the Frey did. The Frey world was kind of like these Yeah, these kind of their outsiders, own. Their yeah. own. yeah, no, it, so, yeah, I completely agree. I think it does fit with, you know, a lot of the sound coming out of here, whether it's, you know, Esmer Patterson, Nathaniel Rateliff, uh, Ian Cook or whatnot. Um, and I think the New York Times story did a really nice job kind of placing them with, within the scene. It was actually lovely. The thing that I think is kind of funny is that you know, they, 
I don't know if it was because they moved here from Brooklyn or the fact that this was their first album. They hadn't been done. They hadn't really. They were pretty small time until they got gigantic. But you, you didn't really kind of hear them mentioned with this other kind of crew like Paper Bird, all these other folks who'd been kind of part of this scene for a while. You know, pa Paper Bird and working with Carlos Symphony Orchestra. Ballet Nouveau, you, you, had, you didn't see that with the Lumineers. So, okay, I, mean, I can jump in and say I love Paper Bird. Yeah. <laughs> and, Listen you know, to them so, obsessively. So been, yeah, so, you yeah, love Esme yeah. Patterson. And locals have heard about them for a long time. So are you saying that you kind of feel like they didn't really put in their Colorado lumps no, long I enough? I, think, I, I mean, I, mean I, don't, I wouldn't blame them. I think it's funny that of all the bands f from Colorado that are part of this sound, part of this scene, this is yeah. this seems like one of them that, that didn't... That wasn't known before. I think this. I think right, that it's right. telling that both of you know Paperbird and um, Nathaniel Wraith, Wraithliff and everybody else, but you've never heard of the Lumineers, and that's sort of the way that I feel about uh, the Lumineers. And now, if they're going to be sort of representing Denver, you know, they didn't, they weren't, they aren't as sort of uh, attuned or come up through the scene the way those other yeah. bands do. And the question is, I mean, my question is, and this isn't a knock against them at all, but how long are they really going to stay here? I mean, are they, I mean, do do we really think that that does, they're going to? Is this does, just does, a stopover? Does, does it does it matter? I mean, if they can coattail as many bands as possible, if Denver has a shot of being another Austin or early '90s Seattle, then, then well, you yes, just... you know, let let them go out there. Uh, if they'll proselytize and promote and and not forget their roots, you know, maybe they can get more bands on the Denver scene, or maybe just by leading by example. You know, we'll have some talent scouts who'll, who'll come this way and, and uh, try to get more people going. I mean, yeah. and, and this is speaking from just an outsider. I mean, I'm 80 years old at heart. I mean, if I have any cool factor, I, I'm, I'm a brittle hipster, you know, and, you know, that, that's, uh, that's about all a I Brittle have. hipster. Well, but I, th but I hear what you're saying, and I, I think what you're saying is that um, if they're going to be representative of the Colorado music scene, they should have authentic Colorado roots. Um, well, you said they're from Brooklyn, and I they moved so. here. I think if I have my story correct, and I might have, you know, some, I, I know what happened was, I think the two lead singers, you know, were kind of high school friends, I think from New Jersey, I could be wrong, and then they, you know, then they, they tried for a while to make a go of it, I think around Brooklyn, and they just really weren't getting the traction that they needed, so they said, well, let's move somewhere else. They settled on Denver, because I think they assumed that, that there was nothing in Denver, and they could just do their own thing here. It was only once they arrived and started going to open mics and whatnot, they realized, oh, there actually is a pretty strong music scene here. Yeah. Well, and, then Denver and, and Colorado shaped them, and, and we're the real reason and that they're successful. And they made a choice to be here. Yeah. Um, or maybe their sound is just something that, uh, that Colorado was more ready for than, yeah. where, than where they came from. And, and isn't that really part of Colorado? I mean, how many people are really natives? How many people move here and uh, are shaped by Colorado, are shaped by the scene and, and the natural beauty and, and the wonderfulness of it, and then end up staying? I mean, uh, yeah. just, just around the table, how many people were born here? Two. Two. So two, two, of, two, two out of five. Two of five. Yes. <laughs> but you know who the, the true natives are to our country in Colorado is the Colorado dinosaurs. Oh, look at that. Nice what segue. segue. Nice going segue. Way, I'm going even further nice past. Segue, not, not, the negative, not the Native Americans. We're talking the dinosaurs. You kind of jumped the gun there, Jared. Nice segue. Yeah. No, that was beautiful. You know what well else is, wait, wait, but, but you know what else is a true Colorado Native? The Hell Mustang from DIA. Yes. <laughs> How, oh, see, I took your segue and raised and I'm, your segue. And I'm very glad because I actually really want to talk about this. Yeah, I figured you did. Um, yes. So apparently... Um, now it's finally time, if we so choose, to destroy the DIA Hell Mustang once and for all. I think it's, you know, it's been up for five years, hasn't killed anyone else in the <laughs> meantime. And now that it's been there, I guess uh, the rules are that if we want to, it can be petitioned to be removed. So the question is, do we, do we want to remove the Blue Mustang? It's even possible without opening up a gate to hell by, you know, at its, you know, by removing it from its pedestal. Um, folks have thoughts on this? Oh, I'm going to get myself in so much trouble. I should probably just keep my mouth shut here. Well, but before, um, before we answer that, like the, the way that this all came about was when the airport was being built, quick history lesson, I know history too, guys, is that uh, they, the city had commissioned uh, Luis uh, Jimenez, a uh, 
New Mexico artist to create this big sculpture. It was supposed to be installed in 1994 or something like that. Huge delays for many, many years um, up to the point into the early 2000s when they were considering suing him because he hadn't delivered it. Then uh, right before he was about to have it delivered, a piece of it fell, killed the artist, but yet the uh, family was still able to complete it, and they were originally supposed to install it inside the actual main terminal. A lot of people don't know that, but then they decided that <laughs> that would be too imposing, so they decided to have a, a, less, uh, a less prominent place right at the entrance of the actual airport, right off Pena Boulevard. And so now there's something contractually where now they can petition to... I don't know if they... Would, would they remove it, like get rid of it altogether, or just move it to a new location? Because I think that's It would that's be sort fun to move it question. somewhere new for a while. If it just started popping up at random places around town, you, you wake up in your house in like, <laughs> in like South Park Hill, you look out the window, and there's like almost like, like ar. With that the glowing red eyes. Well, I, I think the fact that it is a, a portal to, you know, the, the eldritch places is actually a good thing, because that's a whole other form of tourism. I mean, that's inbound tourism, you know, from, from hell, and, and I mean, those are dollars that we should capture. I mean, they're unholy dollars, but... You know, oh, it would please. definitely help help out the local tourism market. I and we do have the new hotel and conference center there, and they wouldn't have to even come downtown to spend those unholy dollars. They could spend it right there, have their conferences. Well, I, I mean, those are already soulless, so there's really nothing for, for people to take there at those conventions. So, yes. you know, they just have to fan out to some places See, on the judgmental you know, I, map. I, I take issue with this whole characterization of the Mustang as a demon horse from hell. I actually have uh, written about this before, and I characterize it more like a gargoyle, that in the ancient cathedrals they would put gargoyles on the outside oh, of like churches. Oh, like a travel gargoyle. How many people concourse. does this horse have to kill before you guys realize it's to evil? Protect, it's got glowing red eyes. It's only killed one person. And scare away the evil we spirits. Of. And if we think about it like that, that the, that the demon horse, maybe, maybe it was born in hell a little bit, but now it is there. It's, it fa- it's facing away from the airport. It is actually keeping away the evil it's spirit. It's a Who guardian knows? spirit. Oh, exactly. So the feng shui is going the right direction. It's going away. It's not feng shui, Joel. <laughs> the, <laughs> you're mixing all this up. No, the, the, we're talking the, the, about... The Wang Chung is going the right direction. Yes, Wang Chung. That's a word up. So uh, should we make a decision right here and now about the future of this thing? Should we... Uh, keep show, it. Show, 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 keep show of hands. It. Should we keep the Hell Mustang? Yes. Uh, uh, people it's, can't hear hands. But, uh, I, but I say, but I'm raising my hand, yes. Okay, we have, all right. we have four to keep. Uh, who wants to destroy it once I am obviously all? very much in the minority here, and c- do I get to explain why? Okay, um, I get to explain why, yay. I go to the airport all the time. I'm constantly either picking people up or dropping people off, um, and we have a lot of people, especially right now during our project, we have a lot of people coming to it, town. It's part of our human us. trafficking program. Oh, yeah. sh- would you shut up? Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, and when I, when I pick up people and I take people to the airport, people who haven't been to Denver before um, or haven't seen the new airport before, um, I'm so proud of our beautiful airport. And it never fails. It never fails. When we pass by the big blue horse, our guests will say to me, what the hell is that? Exactly. And they don't. They don't react positively to it. And in all sensitivity, in all sensitivity, I know we're we're being silly here, but um, I know that it has a tragic story. And I just don't know if the face of the airport, the first thing you see as you're coming up to our gorgeous airport, then you have to tell this weird, tragic story to your guests that you're trying to entertain. But that's the point. Yeah. That's the point. It's become an urban legend. It's like a modern ghost story. It ties in with all the one-world government craziness. Of it it. I mean, scares it's, children. It's, yay! <laughs> children need to be scared. <laughs> and, see, and see, right here, I think, is the actual, you know, the crux of the debate that everyone in Denver is sort of split somewhere along those lines. Like, I think we can all agree, even the, even the people like me that think it should stay, that, yes, it is, it is horrific. It is totally misplaced. It is a complete distraction on the airport. And actually, we've been having these discussions since it was installed five years ago about whether or not she move, whether or not it's appropriate. But like move, you said— but keep it. And, and, well, I, I think that it should stay in the exact same place for the reason that you cited. I love the idea that, at this point, when we drive out there, that we have— you know, it's not some, like, 
staid corporate art that is just nice to look at. The fact that we actually have something that has like a real story or something like that uh, behind it and that we can share it with people no matter how horrified they are. <laughs> I think the, the, the longer that people are living with it in Denver, the more they are getting used to the idea and actually liking the idea to the point where people who previously said, let's remove it, are now have a little special place in their heart okay. for it. I it's, can, it's, I can it's see like that a, a sculptural brainworm. It's, it's like the song you hate, but you can't stop humming in your head. I can see that you point know, of view. But, but, but the reason, my reason for keeping it is it's a good story. I mean, it's becoming a Denver landmark, just like the Sleeper House, you know, up in Genesee Park. You know, it's, it's one of these things that is now a station on the cross for coming to Denver. And the fact that it isn't a pleasant story is is why every time I pull up to the airport, I tell it. And, uh, you know, maybe it even is representative of Denver in that, you know, it's it's a little bit wild and uncontrollable. It's got a little bit of a badass gleam in its eye, you know. So, so maybe it is actually a great symbol for Denver. Yeah. So, so I, I mean, if we put a blandy bland piece of, you know, corporate art there, come on, we got that all over town. That's anywheresville, anywhere in yeah. the world. This is something that is unique. And, and to me, it's sort of like in uh, Camus' The Plague, where there's the old man who, like, puts a piece of paper, drops it out his window every day, and the cats run up, and he spits on them. And then when the cats all run away from the plague, he starts dying because the, the thing that was so unpleasant kept him alive, and that's our, our hell horse, is that here's this thing that, that is not a pleasant thing. And that's good. Why does everything have to be shiny and happy? I, you know, it, you know, it, what would go there? Here's here's a giant bunny rabbit. That's it's absolutely harmless to anyone. Not everything has to be shiny and happy. Well, yeah, yeah. Honestly, I think, I in some ways, I think that this is all kind of a, a pretty uh, hypothetical. Because I, I'd, I'd be surprised if they actually really did kind yeah, of work too. on putting it down right now. I mean, the cost of that, it seems like they're just, at this point, it's going to move forward. Um, but, it, but you know, it's, it's always good to bring up new discussions of DIA's Hell Mustang. So we, I'm surely we will talk <laughs> about it again, over and over again. Um, so um, that's it for the newsy bits this week. I think we're going, about to go back in time a little bit, going to fire up the flux capacitors. Uh, but listeners, if you want to share a news story that we should be dissecting on the show, rant about something we said, such as uh, completely getting the Lumineers' backstory incorrect, uh, or shower us with gifts of banjos and brain worms, please leave us a comment on denverdiatribe.com. Like us on Facebook or drop us a line at 720-282-YELL. Um, and just so we all know, this week's episode is brought to you by Illegal Pete's, as always. Uh, at 8 p.m. on Saturday, February 16th, uh, Illegal Pete's will be holding their second spelling beer event. I heard the first one was off the hook. And this time it'll be at Illegal Pete's on the hill in Boulder. Uh, basically, what it entails is after the first round of the spelling bee, contestants win a free beer each time they spill a word correctly, which means they're probably spelling about two more words correctly, and then the whole thing's going out the window. It's educational as well as sloppy. For more information, go to Legal Pete's Facebook page. Ooh, ooh, I'm there. I'm there. You're there. I'm, She's there right I'm, now. I'm good at spelling, yeah. and I'm good at beer. So okay, well, there you go. Drunk, drunken orthography is, is a specialty <laughs> of mine. It is. That makes sense. Um, we're going to take a quick musical break, and when we return, we're going to be talking all about dinosaurs and lightning with Greg and Maritelli. Uh, first, some bad weather California. Shine, 
your time, take your time. Take your time, take your time, take your time. Take your time, take your time, take your time. Take your time, take your time, take your time. everyone we're back and, and the most amazing thing just happened we were sitting here listening to that song by bad we- weather california and joel our host got a call on his cell phone something to do with his son throwing up and being sick and he literally put on a cape and jumped out the 14th floor of the may dnf cock- of the clock tower i've never seen anything like it except in a movie we, we've got to go down later with a mop and bucket and take yeah care of it's things. gross it's, it's not gross. pretty wow greg you you look like you're in shock little bit. Uh, no, I, I kind of saw it coming. The signs were there. Okay, well, again, we're here with uh, Greg and Meredith Talley, and uh, I'm going to try to try to pick up where Joel left off. Um, hopefully, he flew back to his um, home safely. He, he but... didn't fly. Gr- gravity <laughs> is a fact. I just, I'm sorry. Okay, okay. Uh, well, th- this is good, because you're going to bring a little bit of, a uh, little bit of science, a little bit of history to the Denver Diatribe podcast, and we're going to be talking about your first your project uh, there to take a hotel that you already own and turn it into Denver's first dinosaur-themed hotel. I have no idea what that means, so I have a lot of questions for that. And then we can talk a little bit about this strange uh, thing that happened between the online cartoonist Oatmeal, uh, Nikola Tesla, and how that actually relates to you guys, and it amazingly does. Yeah, it's an interesting story. So first, Greg... Tell us how you got so interested in dinosaurs, history, and how you first came up with this idea to have a dinosaur-themed hotel. Well, I I think having a curious mind is is the the first part of it, and and always loving to learn, always picking up a a book or reading something and synthesizing new information. And then you you learn one fact, and you go, well, what does that mean? And you ask more questions and more questions and more questions. Uh, Meredith and I, uh, back in 1997, had just uh, been married, and uh, we were traveling back from East Texas uh, to Colorado, uh, and we were doing kind of a little mini-moon and stopping, and uh, we, we stopped at uh, Six Flags, uh, you know, and overnighted uh, kind of near Fort Worth, and uh, 
There was a new movie out. It was Jurassic Park 2, The Lost World, and I'd always liked dinosaurs well enough, and went and saw it, and, and I got myself the, the dinosaur fever real bad, and, you know, came home, bought massive stacks of books, started becoming familiar with the Bone Wars and its relationship to Colorado history, and it's it's always sort of, you know, it, it goes nascent sometimes, goes underground, and then erupts back in, in a full outbreak of dino fever, and you know, uh, but, but in terms of, of, of how the project came about, I mean, uh, we have a, you know, in a hotel that's a, a Best Western, and we bought it out of bankruptcy in 2004 and reflagged it. It's been a, a nice... And this is gen- there in Lakewood near Hamden and Wadsworth? That's right. Yes, so that's, like that's Ham- Hamwad. So, Hamwad, uh, that neighborhood. We've yeah, heard about this. So, so about 10 minutes from Dinosaur Ridge and Red Rocks. Uh, and, and so, you know, it, it was a nice enough property. We, we built it up, uh, you know, made it something special again, you know, out of receivership. But generic product and we, we, we survived yeah. the great recession and we were looking around and realizing okay we're here uh we need to do something to freshen up the property because most hotels have to uh, improve themselves every five to seven years and uh you know so we were starting the remodel process and i i, I like to rock hop and go on rambles and yeah, bouldering yeah, yeah. all over the, the the dakota ridge area and I stumbled across with, with, with a, a, a buddy and coworker what we think is a petrified lycopod uh, forest from uh, the uh, late Carboniferous early Permian. And we started talking to some museum folks like uh, Joe Sertic at the Denver Museum of Nature and Science. And because initially we thought, oh my God, this is a Jurassic bone bed. We just discovered the next new bone bed. And, you know, I haven't been able to get anybody else out there. I've chatted with some yeah. paleobotanists and, and some things like that, uh, some folks like that. But it's it, it, it kind of – even if this just turned out to what they're calling mineral concretions or uh, paleosols, which in, in, in paleontology terms is like someone says they see a UFO and it gets called a weather balloon. Uh, you know, even if it is nothing, um, it, uh, it it's had a light bulb go off, and it was – why not Dinosaur Ridge? Oh my gosh, this is, yep. you know, we're right next to Red Rocks, but there are so many music hotels out there. This is a truly unique story. Now, Greg, let's, let's do that. I know that Colorado, you know, there's Dinosaur Colorado and there are a lot of fossils here, but how significant is Colorado in this actual region, this area that you're talking about, to, you know, dinosaur fossils? Why are there so many? Enormous. It is, it is a seminal moment. It is uh, an important piece of history. Uh, there are parts of the Dakota Hogback, particularly Dinosaur Ridge, that frankly should be a national monument or a UNESCO World Heritage Site. It is that important to uh, humanity's understanding of the ancient world. Uh, you know, it, 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 there are superlatives that always have asterisks ne- next to them. But uh, in April 20th, 1877, a uh, school teacher, another reason to celebrate 420, uh, a school teacher named uh, Arthur Lakes uh, was uh, out rambling with a buddy, kind of like I was, and they stumbled across uh, some gigantic bones, some ginormous bones. And there was already this massive bitter rivalry between two paleontologists on the East Coast, between uh, O.C. Marsh and E.D. Cope. And Lakes knew what he was looking about because he was, uh, you know, an amateur geologist and actually did quite a bit for Colorado's mines and was one of the founding members of the Colorado School of Mines uh, in Golden. And so he shipped off bits of these uh, giant critters to both uh, Marsh and Cope and sparked what became one of the you know, bitterest battles in the 30-year Bone War. And so it this was, is the Bone Wars. This is the about. Bone Wars, yes, sir. And uh, it, it was our first glimpse into the Jurassic past. And, and, I mean, there had been other dinosaurs discovered all over Europe and, and uh, on the East Coast, but they were largely horse-sized, maybe hippo-sized or elephant. These critters were, like, you know, house-sized, school bus-sized. I mean, they, they were enormous. They... they, they blew out any scale of any animal, you know, outside of whales that people had seen. And it, in the scientific community, it became this gold rush. And just like any Wild West gold rush, it was uh, down and dirty. Uh, there was sort of claim jumping. There were spies. There was subterfuge. They actually, the most criminal thing they did is when they couldn't get all the bones out, they would destroy, you know, the fossils. Because uh, they didn't want other people to find yes, them. Yes, they would, they would false seed areas and throw fossils in so the other guy would come in and then claim something. Uh, they would try to jump each other and put papers out because whoever puts the scientific paper out gets the naming rights and therefore the glory. 
it was it was as ugly as and anything so science this is has around ever seen. The, the late 1800s, and there were scientists rushing out here well, to this area of Colorado. Three three, three main scientists, and, and uh, that would have been Joseph Leidy, who was America's first uh, sort of paleontologist, and he was more of a gentleman, you know, natural philosopher. And he quickly bowed out of this and I think like went and studied snails or something for the rest of his life because these other two guys were so ridiculous. He didn't want anything to do with it. And then it was Marsh and Cope. And Marsh had the home team advantage because he had deep, deep pockets and he could talk his way into anything. And his, and I call Marsh and Cope sort of uh, noble bastards because they did many, many great things. Like uh, Marsh was the first guy to really put the meat on the bones of Darwin's theory of evolution. He, uh, there was a guy named Thomas Huxley who was known as Darwin's bulldog because Darwin put the theory out and was such a shy, retiring guy. He like retreated to his country home and, and studied mollusks and things like that. But Huxley was sort of this Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, Bill Maher guy who was very iconoclastic, could just turn, do a quick turn of phrase. And he came over to America. And you got to understand that this is, you know, pre-Dinosaur Ridge. And he, he met up with Marsh. And uh, Marsh talked his rich uncle into, you know, founding the Peabody Museum at Yale. And so he got bequeathed all that. And, oh, by the way, here's a professorship. And, oh, by mm-hmm. the way, now I get to be this rich muckety-muck and, and VIP uh, you know who, who's now the, the, the you know the biggest guy uh, in, in in North America for paleontology. So in, anyway, Huxley immediately joined up with Marsh, and Marsh, like this magician, started producing all of these horses, horse fossils, and he produced like twenty something or higher horse fossils and took it from like this little tiny little you know double toed deer creature all the way up to like the modern draft horse. You know, and and was able to prove, you know, that wow, here here is iterative change over millions of years, and here's how a, a tiny little forest creature can become, you know, mm-hmm. a Clydesdale yeah. in a Budweiser commercial, you know, at the Super Bowl, and, and, and so it, it, it there was that, and then there was a, a, a toothless bird that looked like a really scary penguin, uh, called an uh, a Hesperornis, which he had found in the. Uh, uh, that Marsh, Marsh's uh, supernumeraries had found in the, 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 the chalk of Kansas, you know, yep. which was the bottom of the ocean at the Cretaceous. And so this was also like Archaeopteryx, like a proof in the link uh, that you know, birds had teeth and that you know, they also possibly evolved from dinosaurs, which is still a very exciting, hotly de- debated topic in so, paleontology So it sounds today. like Colorado and Dinosaur Ridge has had an impact on the study of dinosaurs and how that's been shaped and changed over the last century. Well, well, absolutely. Uh, the, 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 so, so, but jumping back to dinosaur Ridge, 1877, you know, I, there are other things Marsh did that, uh, were, were incredible. You know, these guys were, were, were going out in the middle of the Indian wars. Uh, they, they, they were kind of the Zelligs or Forrest Gumps of the day. You name somebody famous, these guys rub shoulders with them, Buffalo Bill or, uh, you know, uh, Darwin, Huxley, uh, Ulysses S. Grant, uh, John Wesley Powell, the one-armed explorer, you know, first white explorer down the Colorado River. It's, it's this incredible, almost seems, you know, fabulous list of, you know, 19th century folks. It's almost like a steampunk thing. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's so crazy. But anyway, back to Dinosaur Ridge. Uh, Arthur Lakes, he ships off these two crates of bones. Marsh is uncharacteristically slow. Cope gets them. Uh, Cope, while more poorly funded, was brilliant at mobilizing quickly, getting out there come hell or high water with little or nothing, creating an expedition, uh, and then cranking out papers at great speed and often getting stuff out well before Marsh could. Uh, So uh, both Marsh and Cope rushed their guys to Colorado. Mm -hmm. And uh, Dinosaur Ridge uh, was the northern part of this. The southern part down uh, in uh, Garden Park in Canyon City uh, is still a very active bone bed today, by the way. Uh, you know, that was, that was Cope's bone bed. Dinosaur Ridge was Marsh's mm-hmm. bone bed. And really, even though there were tourists going out looking at these crazy bones beforehand, the reason why Dinosaur Ridge became the place that was the first glimpse in the Jurassic Pass was really that Marsh got his papers out first for once. And so people can go to the Dinosaur Ridge uh, 
Is it a monument that Dinosaur Ridge? No, it's National it's it's just. Uh, I think it's there's just green space. It's a historic landmark, but there's really nothing particularly special in terms of uh, state and federal protection. It has my not gotten the recognition that it really no. deserves, in our opinion. Well, and, and, and yeah. there's something called the Morrison Formation. When you first discover a new strata or layer of rock, you get to do what's known as the type name. And, yep. you know, like, for instance, Jurassic is because of the Jura Mountains in Switzerland. Permian is because of Perm Russia. The Morrison Formation stretches across the entire uh, western North America. There are bone beds all over Canada and the United States. So if you want to learn about the late Jurassic, it's named after Morrison, Colorado. Wow. And, and even uh, a lot of the energy rush in the Cold War when people were scrambling for uranium – Morrison Formation, baby. You, you know, if you could find, you know, uranium collects naturally in like uh, bones uh, as well as uh, petrified wood. So all those uh, prospectors in, in the 50s and 60s are trying to round up uranium, you know, so we could go blow up those godless commies. They they were looking throughout the Morrison Formation. So I, I mean, yep. Th th this this was an, an enormously important part of of uh, world history. So M Meredith, clearly Greg has dinosaur fever. <laughs> did did you develop dinosaur fever on your own? Or were you infected by his uh, interest and enthusiasm? And what do you think about this entire idea of taking your hotel and turning it into a dinosaur themed? I would say Residence. that I had science fever and knowledge fever. Um, always been a curious person, kind of like Greg. Um, loved to read. Um, for a long time, I was a professional student because I was just having so dang much fun learning. Um, and I would say that my fever spiked after meeting Greg, if that's if that makes sense. Um, he he was kind of more into the geology and uh, and definitely Colorado history. Um, he pretty much taught me all the Colorado history that I know, um, and and I loved every minute of it. We've been all over the state. We've driven together um, when we were dating, and 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 when when uh, we were newlyweds, we went all over the state, and um, and I was just amazed by the breadth of his knowledge of of his adopted state here. So um, so when he came to me and said. Um, you know, we we really need to do a remodel. Well, of course we do because you have to stay fresh if you want to stay competitive, and 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 we knew that. And he said, "I kind of have an idea." Um, and the more he pitched it to me, the more I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I I I have always felt proud of our hotel. I've always thought it was perfectly nice. Rooms are comfortable. It's attractive. Um, but to really give it some kind of personality. Oh yeah, of course. I, I mean, and and to and to actually be excited about the identity of it. Um, yeah, that that's great. I'm, and so, I'm there's, you guys aren't basing this off some other dinosaur hotel anywhere. This nope. is there's, well, there's nothing else no, that and exists. It's not, like, and that's a little bit of a misnomer. We're we're going to be a museum hotel, a natural history themed hotel, which will have an emphasis on dinosaurs. But you know, we're we're actually working with some high school buddies because I went to the high school for the performing visual arts in uh, Houston, and I've got a, a, a buddy out in L.A., uh, Daniel Vincent Bigelow, uh, and he his biggest claim to fame where he it was the uh, uh, prop master for Metalocalypse on Adult Swim. Uh, he Everything on the show from the, the cars to the plates of uh, fruit to the uh, famous uh, dildo helmet uh, sword fight, uh, Dan drew that. So he's, he, he's a very, very talented dude. And he's designing uh, the front friezes that are going to go on the pediments. Uh, he's uh, uh, designing a sort of story of life uh, cut out that will either be wood or metal. We're still exploring the actual material that uh, will go up the stairwell railings. The, the idea is since this is an older property, we don't want to make it feel brand new. We want to make it feel old. We want to make it feel like, you know, just like a Disney Imagineer. We're trying to create a backstory like this place has been around since the 1880s, like sort of came up with this fictional ranching family that maybe was in the middle of the Bone Wars. And as their wealth grew, they bequeathed the original ranch house to become a, a paleontological society. And we want it to feel like kind of an eclectic, dusty, musty, storied institution that's, you know, been around forever. And so you're still in the process of planning uh, this hotel, what it's going to look like, and you hope to have it opened up uh, 
what 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 time frame are we looking at before people can come and stay? Oh here? boy, construction is a funny thing. Um, there are plans, and then there's reality. Um, we would we would love 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 to be up and running and have the place looking absolutely perfect. Um, late April, I'm looking we, at Greg. We said we said Earth Day um, weekend, but that's when fate and chance yeah. says ha. There will be ongoing projects during be, the be, summer between between you know municipal entities and regulation, red tape, uh, funding, contractors, uh, delays, uh, all of that. I mean, I think we'll you know be completely done with this phase about uh, Memorial Day 2044. So, you know, but, but, but our, our real aim is to be done by early summer, hopefully earlier. I mean, it's, it's kind of a wishy-washy thing, but we're, we're at the mercy of a lot of other people. And, and can I make something really clear here? Sure. I just, I want to make sure that, that you understand this is not um, all dinosaurs all the time. This is knowledge, um, this is science. This is history. This is celebrating Colorado. There's a lot of things about Colorado to celebrate. Um, this is for anyone who's just curious um, about science and history in general. That's why we want to call it the Natural History Hotel or the Museum Hotel um, is because, it, you know, kids who love dinosaurs, they're going to love the place. If you're, yeah. if you're um, why curious, come and stay with us. Why? Why curious? <laughs> yes. Well, in fact, I am a little why curious. The... <laughs> All the best people are. <laughs> so people will be able to go, and you can stay there, and it has that theme aspect where you, f you feel like you're immersed into it, but there's going to be real fossils. Are you planning on doing tours from there? It's going to be a real-life real night at the museum, real-life night at the museum. You will be surrounded by all kinds of cool stuff, um, and the building is going to tell the story of uh, ancient Colorado. So as you walk around you'll be walking through a timeline of ancient Colorado. And, um, and celebrating the Bone Wars. We're going to have uh, cases on uh, Marsh and Cope yep. and Lighty and uh, Arthur Lakes uh, and, and, and really talk about their story. Because I think the human side of the story is, is as compelling. Yeah, and that's, that's interesting because there's the whole prehistoric history of the actual dinosaurs and all those eras, but then there's the human history, which you know was a century ago, exactly. but is still... Uh, it was still pretty amazing. Exactly. And they're, and they're all interesting stories. Now, uh, kind of news broke about your plans a couple months ago in early December. Um, you had a few articles come up about by, it. By design, yeah. yeah. By design. And the, since then, you know, what type of support have you either gotten from government, the state? I imagine that, you know, if this is going to be an actual tourist draw or something unique to Colorado, is there any help coming from from any anywhere like that or any institutions no, that are no, not not really everybody's you know wildly enthusiastic about it i mean not particularly su supportive in actually helping us but we get the you know vigorous head nods and the thumbs up oh, i mean yeah great idea but good luck with that you know i mean no no funding from city or state however uh lakewood is is wildly enthusiastic about the idea uh, you know, we Best Western from the CEO David Kong on down just thinks we're slightly nuts, but they they support it, and uh, you know they want us to have a unique differentiator for the area. So you know they they, they get uh, major props. We're, we're we're proud of all our uh, B Dubs, you know, our Best Western folk. They they you know that they, they've helped us. Best Western, um, in general, does give does give. Uh give you some leeway. It sounds like they get, are giving you a lot of leeway. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. to, it's a co-op. It's, it's not yeah. your typical franchise. It's owner-owned and operated, yeah. so we all, you know, one hotel, one vote. So, you know, it can be kind of cantankerous and political sometimes, And but that ability to make your property something special is, you know, Best Western's greatest strength and weakness. It means well, you, you can, still have to meet all of the standards. You still have to have yep. um, rooms just as nice as they require. You still have to have service, you know, the, up, that's up to their standards. But you do get to have your own identity. And, 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 I mean, this is why Best Western has everything from, like, Scottish castles to, you know, your standard, you know, 50s uh, space stage bachelor pad, you know, uh, motel. So it's it's uh, it, it, it runs the full uh, gamut. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So quickly before we run out of time, I do want to touch on the this thing that happened with Oatmeal, who is a <laughs> how would you describe an internet cartoonist? Or he, he does he does he's, he does cartoons. He's a cultural with, phenomenon. I mean, he's on the internet. 
the the, the oatmeal, uh, the oatmeal. Matt, aka Matt Inman, uh, his cereal hotness. He uh, he's every bit as powerful as uh, Stephen Colbert, where he can mobilize people for a tremendous amount of good quickly. And he sort of evolved into this role. Uh, through being attacked by a, a skeevy lawyer earlier in the year, and that turned into one fundraiser, which turned into the Tesla fundraiser. And so the Tesla so. fundraiser, this is actually a museum for the um, inventor, Nikola, am I pronouncing that? N- Nikola Tesla. Nikola Tesla, and that is um, a project that someone's trying to start there in, in New York. People, people felt like he wasn't getting the recognition that he deserved. He's, he's a very important scientist in American history, and he... Um, there was his old lab still standing and just sitting there, and um, there was a movement to try to turn it into a museum to honor him. He's an interesting guy. He deserves a museum. And, 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 and he's also sort of the scientific equivalent of, uh, like he's an American scientific Christ, because there's all of yeah. this weird mysticism and conspiracy theory, and he was you know, prosecuted by the evil Edison. And, and so there's this own weird scientific passion play like i said interesting he's like the patron saint of unsuccessful inventors or inventors who are geniuses but aren't seeing recognition or or commercial success for their inventions and so the oatmeal is a big fan of tesla right and he was uh taking part in a fundraiser to help raise funds for this museum and he said he put it out there that what if Certain people he, donated, he had, and that's how you got He involved. had three top-level slots, and he was appealing to people like Tesla Motors to do it. And it was if you donated uh, – because Tesla loved threes. If you donated $33,333, he would write an original cartoon about you, and he originally had three slots. And uh, we were the first. I think I hesitated for about 30 seconds, told Meredith, and we smoked our goal card to do it, you know, wincing the whole way. But, but the, the, we realized, oh, my God, this is an enormous opportunity. We can help science. We can raise our profile. We can promote our dream. We can promote Colorado because Tesla's most productive years were not at Wardenclyffe on Long Island. They were right here, right in, here Colorado. in Colorado. Was that one of your motivations also? You're a fan of Tesla, but then also well, yeah. the Colorado connection. Yeah, you know, I mean, I like weird Colorado. And, and this plus the Bone Wars is, is about as good as it gets. And, and, and Tesla, all of his really big mad scientists crackling Frankenstein experiments were, were out, you know, on the plains outside of Colorado Springs. And, and, and so, uh, you, you know, I, I would like to see, like, uh, uh, Frank Lloyd Wright's Taliesin East and West. I'd like to see there be a Tesla East, Tesla West museum. And we have no economic interest down in Colorado Springs. I don't know where it would be located, but... I really feel like Wardenclyffe is one step, and the second step needs to be to celebrate the Colorado side of things. It's on our someday list, yeah, for sure. We got a long to list. Do. So after after the Dinosaur Hotel and Museum, it's on my honeydew list. It's take out the list. trash. And so as a reward, <laughs> the Oatmeal actually a did a cartoon about uh, your plans that for the was hotel. The offer. That's actually how I saw it. I was on Facebook, and someone posted okay. a link to that. Yeah, that was the offer. The offer was you make this level of donation, and I will write a cartoon for you. And what did you guys think of the cartoon? We loved it. We, we, we collaborated, and, uh, you know, Matt was absolutely great to work with. He came out for the groundbreaking, you know, his own dime, wouldn't let us pick up We anything. didn't even ask him we, to we do comp- that. We comped him the room night, but, you know, anytime we went out to dinner, like, yep. you know, went, and went to uh, Buckhorn Exchange or whatever, he, you know, he was splitting the tab 50-50. He, 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 he funded his way here just out of the goodness of his heart you know, in a very busy time in his schedule and made time for us. And But in terms of those three slots, uh, we were the first one to jump on board with the 35, you know, to sort of declare our support of Tesla and science. Uh, there was a documentary team that jumped in. They're, they're doing a movie and a documentary on Tesla and Warren Cliff. And then I think Matt got spooked enough that he was going to end up with a Handsome Harry's discount furniture outlet that he pulled the third one. And I don't know if he'll ever do this again. I imagine if he does, it'll be half a million or more because, uh, you know, some, some uh, you know, Doritos or whatever are going to want to jump on board. So, you know, he, he's going to – or hair care for men. He's going to make sure that the next fundraiser that they, yep. they, they pony up. But clearly your project was something that he can get behind. It was right in line and with it, exactly it, what he's trying to do. It fits with sort of his, uh, his worldview and the worldview of everybody who likes interesting off-the-beaten-path Things. And so we'll post a uh, we'll post a link to that cartoon that the oatmeal did about your um, hotel and museum. And actually, we're really excited because you guys have a special offer that you're going to give to our subscribers. So anybody who 
is a new subscriber to the Denver Diatribe podcast, and you can go onto our website. There's a huge button that says subscribe. There's lots of different ways you can subscribe. Um, but if you subscribe between now and February 14th, we will pick one person randomly, and they will get what? Uh, a two-night free stay at the Best Western Denver Southwest post-remodel. Post-remodel. It's good good uh, for all time, and it will include uh, a complimentary dinner with uh, Meredith and I where we'll, we'll talk about our various uh, ailments and bunions and things like that. We'll bore you with... Uh all of yeah. the most boring stories about our lives. You guys say that, but I'm sure there will be lots of exciting <laughs> and interesting conversations. A 45-minute conversation. conversation about my sinus infection. <laughs> Great. Well, guys, is there uh, before we go on and do our love and hates, is there anything that um, you want to add real quickly about your hotel or your idea or keeping weird and interesting Colorado alive through locations that you can go stay in even if you live in this area and you don't have a reason to stay in our hotel after it's remodeled come by say hi to stanley he's our stegosaurus come on in introduce yourselves and uh come eat in our restaurant and uh, when it's open not open yet <laughs> right there's yeah right now it's a construction zone we'll brontosaurus you know. brontosaurus burgers maybe they don't exist <laughs> jurassic no pork such thing as brontosaurus. The, the food the will be good okay. <laughs> but uh, i i would add that you know, even if you don't come and stay with us, please come to Colorado, wherever you are in the world. This is ranked the number two state right behind Hawaii, and that's because it's its own kind of paradise. It's not a tropical paradise. It's a mountain paradise. Uh, you know, it's divided into thirds. There's the plains, then the, the gorgeous Rocky Mountains, and then the, the Red Rock country you know, out west that, that is spectacular. Uh, we, we'd love for you to stay with us, but any stay in Colorado is phenomenal. Uh, please stay, give us your dollars, and go home. Well, I think the Colorado Convention and Visitors Bureau and Tourism Board, I think they found their new pitch man, if anything. Well, we'll, we'll help perhaps. the whole state taste like pterodactyl. All right, so let's do some love and hates. And actually, Vanessa, would you like to jump out from behind the board? I don't know. She's so serious about managing, keeping our audio levels uh, steady that uh, she will not do a love or hate, but I will go ahead and go first. Uh, I have a quick love, I guess, that uh, the coffee shop Common Grounds there in, uh, uh, I guess, the, the Highlands, like Highland we Square, 32nd and Lowell, yeah. is actually moving. It's closing that location, and I was pretty surprised to hear the news um, I guess that within the next month or so, they're going to actually be closing that location because the landlord there has uh, dramatically uh, jacked up the rent. And this may be a sort of fitting end to that common ground story there in Highland Square because they were actually the first coffee shop or uh, kind of store, newer store, to open up there in Highland Square because in throughout the 90s, 90s, I even remember you would go drive up there and it was just a bunch of, you know, a laundromat and maybe a convenience store. But everything was just kind of boarded up. It was looked very different from um, the way it does now. And they were actually the first ones to open up. And pretty much that's what people uh, point to as the time in which you start to saw, see that entire neighborhood kind of change and people really locate um, or start to go there as a as a hub of activity. Um, but as these things happen, the, they are the victims of their own success. The rent got jacked up, and they are moving. And the reason why I'm loving it is because they are moving into the Sunnyside neighborhood on 44th. Um, they're, apparently, they own a building there, and so um, they're going to be pretty close to actually where I live. Yay. So um, hopefully, I, hopefully they won't gentrify me out of my own neighborhood, but in the meantime, I will enjoy their coffee. So that is my love. And, uh, Greg, do you want to go next to love or hate? Uh, yeah, I'll do both. Uh, love is, uh, I think that our uh, governor, uh, Hickenlooper, is probably going to end up doing some sort of presidential bid or vice presidential nomination. He seems like a very well-positioned guy for either independent ticket or most likely Democratic. I think he has a real chance to push Colorado even more onto the national political map. That's just me saying. That's you just, just like him because he's a former geologist. Well, I like him because he makes a lot of beer. 
you know, I mean, let, let's, 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 you know, he, he helped put the craft beer scene, you know, on, on this. By the way, Colorado, uh, Denver is the uh, Napa Valley of microbreweries, another reason to, to come uh, to the state. Uh, my hate. Uh, this is, uh, I don't know if any, many people know this, but Dinosaur Ridge is critically endangered around its flanks by wholly unnecessary development. Uh, you know, nothing against the developers. I'm a capitalist. They're business people, too. Uh, I hope in the fall that uh, we can do a, a crowdfunding campaign to convince these guys that maybe there's a more profitable thing they can do, maybe something more noble for the greater good. I want them to turn a buck, but maybe if they don't develop and, you know, we could come up with a rental program and uh, turn that over to become part of a state or national park in the future. Uh, they, at the moment, won't even let uh, them cover the dinosaur tracks on the Cretaceous level wow. because, uh, the quote, the glare of the glass might shine into these hypothetical apartments because they want to build apartments and office space because that's what Denver needs more of with all the derelict office buildings. Okay. Never talk to them. I'm sure the three dinos folks or the developers behind this are perfectly nice people, but I would like to see them do something for the world. Make a buck. We'll help them get there, but don't destroy this world treasure. Please, guys, great. don't. That's a great hate. All right, Meredith, love or hate? Couldn't have said it better myself, Greg. Thank you. Um, okay, well, since he went all serious on us, I guess I'll keep mine, I'll keep mine light. Um, I love the view from this tower. This was uh, so exciting for me. I had such a great time. And, uh, and uh, looking out the window and looking down there and at the people walking on the uh, on 16th Street Mall, that this has been really fun for me. Um, I also love the fact that last night there was a blizzard at my house, and today there's beautiful blue sky, and that's just another reason to love Colorado. That's great. All right. Well, thanks a lot to Greg and Meredith Talley uh, for coming here and telling us about their crazy scheme, which is so crazy and so smart it just might work in my opinion. So thanks for joining us, guys. Thank you. And uh, thanks to Vanessa, our today's audio engineer. And thanks to super dad, Joel Warner, um, who had to leave us today. we got to go mop him up. <laughs> got to go mop him up. No, you, you don't know. You no, just, I'm, I looked out him. the window. The raven's already picking oh, at God. it. It's, it's just awful. All right. Well, that's all the love and hate we have for this week. If you'd like to share a little love or hate of your own, please leave a brief message at 720-282-YELL. That's 720-282-3955. Sorry. Our theme music is by TJ Miller from his Extended Play EP, and our web hosting is provided by BlueChannel.com. For more information about Denver Die Tribe or any of our guests, check out our website, DenverDieTribe.com, or search for Denver Die Tribe on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Jared Jakang Mayer on behalf of my super dad co host and our guests. Thank you for listening. Haven't you heard the birds at the words Denver? High average income, roll like big spenders. Affordable housing, good money lenders. Low obesity, no need for suspenders. Check your calendar.